All right, George Stoya joins us from Soonerscoop.com to talk about the elevation of Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley. So, George, I've consistently and constantly been giving you credit, and I know, I listened to the pod, we had a chance to talk yesterday, you always magnify group effort, and actually, Eddie is a dude that deserves a major pat on the back for this, he had it all Sunday? Yeah, no, Eddie's the man, he's, uh, look, when... When you're as popular as Eddie, you're pretty well connected. Uh, and uh, sometimes people like to give you info. So Eddie's been uh, kind of on top of it since then. And, uh, you know, we were able to go ahead and confirm it with a few other people. Um, on what day was that? Tuesday. The, the week has been um, a wild week so far. Lots of stuff, lots of news going on. But, yeah, it's a, it's a team effort over at Soonerscoop.com. Oh, well done, man. So, uh, George, uh, again, just take us through the process Oklahoma vetted other pro- other candidates, or, or they kind of felt like they had the guys in-house the whole time. How did this process play out from what you were able to, to find out? Yeah, no, they definitely looked into some external candidates. I mean, they, they you know, I wouldn't say they interviewed any external candidates, but they considered them. And, and like any, any good head coach, you know, Brent's got a list. When these type of things happen, uh, he's got a list of names of people that he likes, people that maybe he knows or has, has crossed paths with. Uh, during his time as as a coach, and so uh, you know they they definitely had some candidates that they were looking at that weren't just internal. But I think at the end of the day, he felt really comfortable with Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley, and obviously they brought in Seth this last year to be an offensive analyst, and he's a guy that has called plays before and done it at a high level. He's been a head coach, and when you look at the way that Brent has handled uh, this program, is is obviously. His focus is on the defense, and when he can have somebody that he trusts to run the offense completely, uh, he feels really comfortable. And Seth is a guy that has been a head coach before. He understands game situations, uh, and I think that that is a huge plus for him in terms of letting Seth kind of run the show, and Joe John as well. And I think Joe John's somebody that Brent has felt is, is kind of a rising star in the coaching ranks, somebody that he trusts, and I know that his position group didn't have the best year this year, but you look at what he's bringing in talent-wise in the future at that position and what he was able to do with Braden Willis a year ago, I think there's a lot of feeling in the building that Joe John uh, is going to be somebody that is going to be wanted as an offensive coordinator here pretty shortly. Let's go through the complaints. Um, (laughs) I I will say, you got to give Kerry some credit. He made me laugh because there is the – well, people always say if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. So if you have two OCs, that must mean you don't have one. I think that's a little misguided. But I, I don't have a problem with the code because historically at Oklahoma, co-offensive coordinators have been incredibly successful. And in what we've seen, you know, three or four teams win national championships with co-offensive coordinators. Why do you feel like there's been such a block for some people with the idea of co-OCs? I think it's that same narrative that you mentioned that Kerry said about the two quarterbacks. You don't have one. I mean, I think people just see it and say, well, who's, who's actually leading the meetings? Who's actually calling the plays? Well, I can tell you it, the, the reason Oklahoma put out that Seth Luttrell, the offensive coordinator, didn't put a co in front of his is to clarify that he is, he is the final say in terms of what they're doing. And you see that often in college football. Like you said, uh, you know, multiple national championship teams have won with co-offensive coordinators. I believe Clemson, both years that they won, it was Brent Venables there. It was co-offensive coordinators. So Brent is obviously familiar with this. You look at what Oregon's doing this year, they have co-offensive coordinators, but it's Will Stein 
that's running the show. That's what I expect mm-hmm. from Oklahoma as well is, hey, Seth Luttrell and, and Joe John are technically co-offensive corners. They both put their input. But at the end of the day, Seth Luttrell is the one uh, that's going to be running his kind of offense. He's going to be the one calling the plays. And when it comes down to, you know, those close games and stressful moments, it's going to be on Seth. And so Seth's going to be the one that hears the criticism, too, uh, when things aren't going the right way for the offense. He's going to hear that. So I think that people need to realize that co-offensive coordinators, co-defensive coordinators, that is, a, that is something that has been around in college football for over 20 years now. I mean, you look back to Oklahoma, won a national championship with co-defensive coordinators. They played in a couple with co-offensive coordinators, Kevin Wilson, Chuck, Chuck Long, uh, Kevin Wilson, Kevin Sumlin. So uh, you look at it, this is not something new. So I don't think this is a, a big issue. I'm not sure why people get upset with that, but uh, I don't think Oklahoma is too worried about it. How different do you think it's going to look? Like, in other words – you know, Seth's an air raid guy. Um, Oklahoma has been, you know, the hurry up, kind of no huddle mindset, which there's some elements of that in the air raid, some. But I- I'm I'm curious how different do you think this will look from a fan's perspective, from dopes like myself that just are watching from the stands? How different do you think this offense will actually look aesthetically, George? Well, I definitely think it'll be slower. Um, and-, and not to say that they won't use tempo at times. They certainly will. North Texas use tempo quite a bit, but not to the extent that uh, you've seen Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma's been, I think, one of the fastest teams in the country the last couple of years up there with Tennessee and, and Josh Heupel, what they're doing tempo-wise. So I do think you're going to see this thing slow down considerably, and I, that was an emphasis this past year, and you saw them slow down at times. So I do think you're going to see this thing slow down. I also think uh, you may not see as much horizontal stuff um, to the sidelines and, and those sorts of things. He'll run his screens and, and those sorts of of uh, plays, but um, it won't be a, a ton of uh, jet sweeps. I don't think you're going to see a ton of those at times. Um, you know, I think the run game is going to look pretty different in terms of what they're doing schematically. The air raid, you're going to have wider splits between the offensive lines, so you're going to be running different types of runs like an outside zone or a GT counter that Oklahoma is used to back in the, the Lincoln-Riley days. They're going to get back to some of that run game, I think, uh, and then I think in terms of, of the wide receivers and their alignment, you'll, you'll see this last year and, and the year before, you have wide receivers all the way out to the sideline at the numbers, those spots. I don't think it'll be as spread out as much. You'll see those guys come in a little bit. You'll see more crossing routes over the middle, those sorts of, of plays that maybe you didn't always see. You, you know, Levy's offense is very horizontal at times, or it takes a deep shot. You're going to see more stuff over the middle, I think, with Seth Luttrell. But it's going to be interesting, Plank, and that's why I'm excited to get to talk to these guys because I do think keeping Joe John and having him as a co-office coordinator tells you that they want to keep some of the same stuff that they were doing, and obviously OU was having a lot of success. I know people don't want to admit it, and at times it was inconsistent, but you look at the efficiency metrics, OU was really good offensively this last year, and I think that's part of why they want to keep the same staff is, hey, let's not, let's not ruin a good thing. Let's keep the continuity in terms of what we're doing. Uh, but, again, Seth's going to implement his air raid, his style uh, that you saw back at, you know, Texas Tech, Arizona, North Carolina, North Texas, all the places that he's been before. George, how important was the Jackson-Arnold component here, the, the continuity? That's, that's been the buzzword that it seems like everybody's throwing around. Did Jackson-Arnold have anything to do with this decision in your mind, and how do you think that – what are the early returns on how Jackson Arnold feels about it? 
Yeah, I don't know if Jackson necessarily had um, a lot to do with it. You know, I don't think he was sitting in on these meetings, and I don't think they were going, well, what, what does Jackson want to do? But I think he's, he's kind of a, a larger piece to the puzzle in, in the sense that they didn't want to lose a lot of players. They feel like they've got some good personnel in terms of what they're doing on offense. When you look at the young receivers, you look at uh, the young quarterbacks, either Jackson or the guys that they're bringing in, they didn't want to lose those guys. And so I think that that piece as a whole was a large part of it. Now, I will say, talking to people that are close to Jackson, I don't think he was going anywhere no matter what. Now, maybe if they went out and they hired somebody that was going to come in and run you know, the triple option uh, or the I formation and he was not going to be able to throw the ball as much, then maybe they would have considered leaving. But from my understanding, Jackson's all in on being the starting quarterback at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, he didn't come to Oklahoma just to play for Jeff Levy, and they have a close relationship, obviously, uh, and, and you know that's something that uh, you have to factor in. But I don't think he was ever considering leaving. Uh, this is a guy that wants to be the quarterback at Oklahoma, and when you promote from within like this with guys that he's very familiar with, I mean, Joe John Finley was a part of his recruitment. Uh, obviously, he's worked with him this last year, and then Seth Luttrell, who, from my understanding, was sitting in on quarterback meetings all year, uh, and working primarily with the quarterbacks is almost like they're grooming him for this particular situation. Uh, it makes a lot of sense because he does have a pretty good relationship with Seth Luttrell already. Hey, George, a couple quick ones, and we'll let you get out of here. First, now moving forward, do you – what do we make of the Dylan Gabriel conversation? I And not with OU. I think he's done at Oklahoma. I, I don't know about the bowl game, but do you see him potentially following Levy to Mississippi State, or do you think he's going to be off to the NFL? It's a good question, Plank, and I'll be honest. There's some, some rumors out there. Obviously, you know, the message boards, they run wild with these things, but, um, you know, there's some rumors out there about Oregon and Florida State and some of these schools, these big programs, possibly wanting to see if Dylan Gabriel would be interested in coming to play for them. I, I, I'm like you, Plank. I'm pretty positive his time at Oklahoma is done. Again, talking to people around Jackson Arnold, talking to people around Dylan Gabriel, it's been known for some time that they're moving on to Jackson. It, it is Jackson Arnold's team in 2024. Now, Dylan, I, I've always got the sense, you know, talking to uh, his family, talking to him himself, he has aspirations to play in the NFL. And you look at the season that he's had this year, I'm not sure he's ever going to have a better opportunity than he is right now to go out and get drafted and have a chance to make a roster. So to me, it would make the most sense to go to the NFL now, but you never know. Uh, NIL totally changed the game. And if somebody says, Hey, we'll offer you a million dollars or a couple million dollars to come be quarterback for us for a year and compete maybe for a national title. You see what Bo Nix is doing at Oregon. Maybe Oregon comes in and says, Hey, we'll give you a couple million dollars to come play for us for a year. You'll be in the Heisman conversation. You'll get to play for maybe, a national title, getting the, the college football playoffs. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I still pretty much lean. I'm pretty positive he's going to go to the NFL. I also think he's going to play in the bowl game, um, you know, just because that's the type of guy Dylan is. He wants to go out the right way at Oklahoma, and I think that that means something to him playing in that bowl game. Busy portal season, you think, for OU? Cornerback, maybe a, a, a tackle, or are you think it's a little bit more laid back than we typically have had? Yeah, you know, I, I think Brent's theory on this has always been take what you need, but don't take, don't overtake, right? And and I think that the last couple of years he's kind of had to rebuild uh, through the portal, and, and obviously they went out and got some really nice pieces. I don't think that's going to be as much the case this year. Not to say they're not going to take anybody in the portal, but 
You know, I think the last two years they've taken around 15 guys in the portal. I would think it's closer to 10, maybe under 10. Uh, and I think that they will go after some veteran guys. I think cornerback is somewhere that you, you want to go get some depth. If you can get an experienced guy to help replace a Woody Washington, obviously Gentry Williams has not been able to stay healthy. And then you've got a bunch of young guys that they like, but, uh, you know, don't have a ton of experience. I think defensive line, you can always get better there. And, and they have a great class coming in. But if you can go out and get an experienced defensive tackle, then I think you do it. Same with the guys on the edge. And then I think offensive line, uh, you're losing several guys up front. I think you've got to go get some offensive linemen, probably two or three maybe in the portal, especially at that tackle spot uh, when you talk about losing Tyler Guyton and Walter Rouse. And, and you feel great about Jacob Sexton, but again, another guy that doesn't have a ton of experience and you need somebody on the other side of him. So uh, I do think that you'll see those three positions, offensive line, defensive line, and corner uh, as ones that they probably target as well as I, I would assume tight end. Uh, I, I love Devon Mitchell. I think he can contribute from day one as a freshman, but uh, you'd like to probably go get some experience at that position. All right, George, I know you're busy, man. Really appreciate you finding time for us. Keep up the great work over at Soonerscoop.com, and we'll talk to you again soon, man. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Great dude. George Stoya. Go follow him on Twitter. Great information as well. All right, quick break. We're at Cavens Emergency Response Group. Gary's going to join us next. A lot of really cool things going on. In fact, while we speak right here at Cavens on the wrap. Back into the Plank Show. We're on the road today at Cavens, as we are every Thursday. What's up, Gary? Hey, how are you, Chris? Busy week for you, man. Yes. How, are, how are things yes. going? You've been um, a man about town recently, haven't you? Uh, yes. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. <laughs> we'll talk about it coming up in a bit. But uh, you've also brought on our buddy Darren Wilson from the United Way. Good morning, Darren. How are you? Hey, Plank. Good morning. Doing um, great. This is an exciting time because, Gary, you've talked about your consistent commitment to the community and how much that matters for Cavens, and you're showing it in uh, – your support for United Way, once again, take us through kind of what you guys uh, you guys have given back here this morning. We just gave back a little bit this morning, uh, you know, a, a nice check back to United Way, and we hope to be able to give more here, uh, hopefully before the end of the year is completed. And, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, to me and Jessica Cavins, giving back to the community is huge to us. Uh, we've given to a couple of other agencies this week, too, and um, we just really um, – we think it's important to give back to the community that gives to us. And, you know, that's just an important part of our DNA here at Cavens. And what we do, um, you know, we give back to United Way, the school foundation, youth sports, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Mill on Wheels. Special Olympics is something that's really near and dear to Jessica Cavens because her mom's a special. Um, she teaches. Oh. Uh, that's what she's taught awesome. for 45 years. Um, and she's uh, still teaching today. And, um, you know, they go to Stillwater for Special Olympics. So that's something that's really near and dear to Jessica Cavins' heart, too. How important is it, Darren, when you have people like Cavins in the community that want to give back, want to be a part of what you guys are about? It's game-changing. It's absolutely game-changing for us. Uh, the work that United Way does uh, every year, uh, we, we don't get state or federal funding dollars. It literally is the community coming together to support those people uh, who need help and to fund these agencies so that they have the resources they need uh, in that critical time and in that moment's notice when people, uh, we often, our agencies are seeing people on their, their hardest and most challenging days. And to have uh, Gary and Jessica and his team at Cavens uh, believe so much in the community to say, hey, we're not just going to say that we're going to do things mm -hmm. or we're not just going to say that we support the community, uh, but to actually step up and do it. And, and to do it not just financially, that's certainly important, um, but 
I, I know Gary serves on our board, and he's he's always there uh, whenever whenever we need uh, a board member to to step up and do something. Uh, Gary is there, so he he doesn't just support financially, but but supports uh, around the board table as well. And it, it changes everything for us to to have people in our community like Gary and Jessica. Uh, it's it's quite amazing. And and I would imagine it's, it's holiday season, so. You know, in addition to the, the gift from Cavens, Darren, can you kind of take us through some of the needs right now for United Way and kind of where you guys are in a, in a need area right now? Yeah, I can tell you. So our, our annual campaign will wrap December 13th. That is our celebration day. We'll make the announcement of, of where our campaign sets. Our goal this year is $1.8 million. And uh, unfortunately, we know even going into it, the way that it's kind of lining up, that that's not going to meet the needs for the next year. Uh, so th- there's always the the normal needs, but we focus on the needs of those 24 agencies that we partner with, and and that's everything from, uh, you know, child abuse. Uh, I mean, the things that we don't love to talk about, right? right. Uh, people that are are hungry over the holidays, or uh, kids that uh, maybe are in the foster system, and you know, we want to make sure Christmas is special for them. Those are things that our partner agencies are working on. It's all the critical things. Um, but so we we're working. We're uh, what a week and a half away, I think, from the end of our campaign. It's right around and, the corner. Uh, the uh, the check Gary gave us this morning helps us move that needle a little bit. That's great. Uh, so we'll be excited to to make that announcement on the thirteenth. And uh, we have a lot of work to do and a lot of dollars to find between <laughs> uh, between now and the thirteenth. But uh, everyone on our team and and our our campaign chair Robin Castleberry this year is working diligently. Uh, to, to if you see us looking under rocks in the community, we're literally looking for dollars. All right. <laughs> uh, where can we go to learn more? Just yeah, UnitedWayNorman.org is our website, and you can uh, uh, so much information there, and also the ability to to donate to our our campaign is there as well. Okay, it's got to be pretty cool whenever you're able to help the community out. It is. It's it's really cool. And one thing I've learned about uh, from serving on the board, but really from uh, meeting with other uh, agency leaders and stuff like that is, I mean, there really is a need out there. There's, you know, so many hard stories to listen to. Um, you know, if you talk to Jeff Moody over there, big brothers and big sisters, I mean, he's got some whopper of us, some stories that just will make your heart break and make you cry for weeks. Um, and they're just, you know, it, it is Christmas time. And it is a time to, you know, if you have a little bit extra, there's people out there that need it. And, and we're talking about, uh, in some cases, children that need it and, and people like that. Where, you know, that they're, you know, they're just situations. And United Way and these other agencies do an outstanding job. And, you know, honestly, I never knew um, the full story of everything until I started getting involved and, and started talking to the leaders that are on the front lines dealing with it and just the need is there and you know me and Jessica Cavins are uh, are proud to to give when we can uh, you know try to give as much as we can when we can and um, you know that's just like I said part of our DNA here at Cavins and uh, we've done that year in and year out and we're going to continue to do that. Um, let's just real quick Gary since we're, we're on this let's kind of talk about what's the week been like for you because here at Cavins Emergency Response Group you guys have uh, taken on a massive project but it shows the importance of understanding that there's dangers when it comes to mold 
and you have to make sure that your building and that your home is safe. A hundred percent, Chris. You know, if you have a water intrusion issue, it has to be addressed because if it's not addressed, you're going to basically water, humidity, um, any cellulose-type product, Mm -hmm. uh, sheetrock, insulation backing, um, even some glues and carpets. the water will just basically grow mold on it. I mean, on all those surfaces and it'll, um, if the humidity gets to the right point and it feeds into it too, and it can get worse and worse and worse. So if you have a water intrusion issue, get it resolved, get it resolved in a timely manner, or you're going to have mold. Um, and you know, we're seeing a lot of new builds that are having mold issues and we have a new service out right now. Uh, that it's came out of Florida. It's new in the industry, really pushed this year, and it's really good. It's called mold-free construction. What it is is it, we come in before they hang the sheetrock on the walls, the insulation, when it's watertight, we do an inspection and make sure that those materials during the building process didn't get wet and grow mold on them because you're not going to solve your problems by spraying bleach on it. That just discolors it. It doesn't kill it. Um, and so there's specialized chemicals that we use and special processes we use to, to do that. And let me tell you one thing, it is a heck of a lot cheaper to do it on the front end and have a, a quick inspection to make sure it's not there than versus tearing out walls, tearing out sheetrock, tearing out finishes, tearing out flooring. Mm. I mean, that gets expensive real fast. Yeah, and uh, if you need help or if you need more understanding, call Cavens at 405-573-3048. And, and one other thing, we are getting into that – pipe bursting season yes. so you know it's starting to get a little colder outside you need to make sure we store that number in our phone don't we yes and we're here 24 7 365 you talk to a live person uh anytime you call um you may even get me on the other side of the phone you never know because <laughs> um, i do take my turn on call um and you know we're here just to respond to help with that um, um you know we had a, a a class three water loss at a three-story facility, four-story facility uh, earlier this week where uh, a gentleman um, had flushed the toilet. Um, he was an older gentleman, and he'd forgotten that he flushed the toilet, and it wasn't going down, and he kept flushing it, and he oh, flooded no. basically down three stories. Oh, no. So. <laughs> <laughs> that ends up being quite a cleanup, I can <laughs> yes, imagine. Yes. So make sure you have that number, 405-573-3048. And then one, one final thing, because I do want to circle this back to the United Way. Community involvement is big. For you, right, and that's the foundation of what this company is all about. Hundred percent, I hundred percent believe. Me and Jessica Cavens both believe in giving back to the community whenever we can, as much as we can, um, and and that's huge for us. And you know, I was it was an honor to be invited by Darren to be on the United Way board. I do my best to to do as much as I can too, uh, mm-hmm. between running the company and helping too, because <laughs> I know uh, that you know. There's no beating around the bush. There is a need there um, through all these different agencies. And here's the deal. Just pick one. There's a ton of them out there. Pick one that is dear and near to your heart and just, you know, give a little bit to that. You don't have to give a lot. Every, mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing is every penny adds up. Everything, whether it's bridges, you know, big brothers, big sisters, whatever, aging services, I mean, whatever, there's a there's a, a there's a ton of them out there, and they're all helping people. Just So just find something that's near and dear to your heart this Christmas season. And maybe that's United Way. UnitedWay.org. UnitedWayNorman.org. And we're counting down, right? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. 24 partner agencies. All yes. of those that uh, Gary just mentioned are United Way agencies. Uh, you can go on our website and look and see what all of those agencies are doing in the community. Um, and we, we just we appreciate the community support. We're, we're able to make a difference in our community 
uh, and we don't do it without the support of people like Gary, Jessica, and, and his team at Cavens. You can go unitedwayorg.com right now. There is a Get Involved tab, and it's got ways you can volunteer and ways that you can donate right now. Thanks, guys, and congratulations, Darren. Congratulations, Gary. Thank Appreciate you. It. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right, quick break. We're back with a look at the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line right here on The Ref. Welcome back, everybody. Hour number two, it rolls on right here. It's the Plank Show. Josh Elmer alongside, well, Mr. Chris Plank. Allison Insurance bringing us hour number two. That is allisoninsurance.com. Number to call, 405-745-2968, where Bob and Robert Allison, they can find the needs to best fit you and your office for insurance. Why is that? Well, that's because they've been taking care of you, your office, your family for over 60 years. I don't have uh, this verbatim text in front of me, but uh, I've, I th- I've got a lot of them here in front of me. Well, I thought this uh, subject matter was interesting. Knippemeyer Chevrolet text line four zero five six five one thirty four thirty nine. We were talking about uh, quarterbacks. Now, if you're right. let's say third third round or later pick, and probably we said fifth, sixth, seventh round type draft pick, right? It's more mm-hmm. financially beneficial, perhaps, in terms of guaranteed money in the short term. Yeah short-term guaranteed cash, there's more of it. Uh, If you go to the right college football program that has the right sort of NIL package in place for you. Somebody texted in and said, is the NFL, are they due up to combat this with more guaranteed money? Now, that'd be a CBA thing, right? I don't think the NFL cares. I I think they couldn't care less. Um and, and, and I know which text you're talking about. It was from the 918. It says, won't the NFL have to increase that to encourage these players to come to the league? I, I don't think the NFL cares. I really don't. If if you decide to stay in college because you're making more money as a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round pick, then, yeah, it, I don't think they care. Now, you're right, Josh. The CBA, maybe the players' union, looks at it and says, all right, we've got to make this more beneficial for – the guys that are coming out of college, but again, I, and and I've I've never been a part of an, an NFL players union conversation before. But in guys like Teddy and in Jerry Ostrowski and the people that I've talked to, I don't think the players union cares about how much money guys are getting as fifth, sixth, seventh round picks. Well, I think they're more concerned with rest for guys and more concerned with you know post career our post playing day benefits the other part of it is let's think about who we're talking about fifth sixth seventh round guy right and uh while the nfl is in a lot of ways built on that right in terms of Mm -hmm. hey there's not a long shelf life and x percent and it's a large percentage is these guys that get like one contract sometimes one and a half contracts let's say right it's it's built on that, but it's not, right? I mean, it's built on Patrick Mahomes. It's built on, right. you know, insert star here, first-round NFL draft pick quarterback. Those guys, guess what? They're not staying in college for the extra NIL money. They're, they're going because the guaranteed cash is good in the first round. So, that's, sure. uh, you've talked me into it. That's good in theory, but probably the NFL, yeah, they don't care. Yeah, no, no. I mean, listen, if, you know, there has been this constant thought of, well, the NFL needs to do this to help. The NFL could not care less about the college game. They just don't care. Um, they don't care about scheduling around them. They just they couldn't care less. And I would also I would also add the the problem is it's not a bad one. Like I, I 
I have no issue with NIL. I have no issue with, you know, there was some college, the model is broken, maybe. But to me, Josh, the biggest issue is just the tampering part of it. That's to where I have an issue. But then even that's so open to semantics, right? Gosh, I'm getting fired up about this. I need to calm down. But, you know, I always say with these coaches, name names, you want to sit there and Jeff Trailer and Wake Forest's coach was at Dave Clawson, I think still, or whomever. They want to grinch and moan about this is unfair because we have guys that have all these offers and it's just ridiculous. And Well, you got to name names. But the problem is no one wants to. Because there's not a paper trail from it, you just want to boo-hoo to try to fire up your boosters. Because now it can be as much as a player reaching out. It's like, hey, Josh Helmer, I heard if you put yourself in the portal right now. Um, we, you know, we went to high school together. We, uh, we're best friends. We need a quarterback next year. They told me that if you get in the portal now, we've got a $1.5 to $2 million NIL deal waiting for you. I don't know what you're making it um, – Wichita State or where well, I guess you wouldn't play football at Wichita State at OU or Kansas or wherever, but you know you come here and I can we're going to get you paid. So now it's not even easy to track because it can be former teammates, it can be agents, whatever it might be. Yeah, and you know, look if you're let's say uh, Cam Ward, right? Probably you're not trying to get uh, a potential suitor in trouble, so you probably are are crafty enough to go some back channels. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, Back to a subject that probably our listenership cares a little bit more about. Uh, Victoria, out of the 405, people are upset about the co-offensive coordinators because they don't work in the building and they're armchair head coaches. It's completely ridiculous. Trust BV, trust Joe C. Well, I guess I I never really understood even where that outrage came from, Josh. It, it it literally made zero sense to me. I, I don't think anyone's opinion is dumb. There's no such thing as stupid opinions. And so when I say this, I'm trying to be as nice as I can possibly be. I think it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard if you come in here telling me that you have a problem with co-offensive coordinators. Have you not been paying attention? I mean... It just it seems it seems to me to be something that basically either you heard or you you're dead set in that it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what anyone tells you by God they're co-offensive coordinators so that means there's not one look around college football right now man look around college football right now look around the history. Of, of Oklahoma, Coe has been kind of the way of the land. I mean, if I, I was trying to pull it up here real quick, I'm pretty sure that Jay Vali has a co-defensive coordinator tag on his, on his title. Let me double-check that just to make sure. Oh, I'm sorry. Todd Bates does. Hey, do you guys have a problem because Todd Bates is a co-defensive coordinator? Silence. Right? Crickets. Now, maybe crickets. <laughs> granted, granted, nobody has uh, access to this line at the moment, but. I don't care. You have two co-defensive coordinators. You got Jay Valai and Todd Bates, along with Ted Roof and then Brent Venables. 
I just, I, I guess maybe because you're confident that Brent Venables is actually the guy calling the defense. I don't know. But that, to me, Josh, of all the storylines of frustration that have popped up, that's the one that literally my head has gone. I expected anger out of, you know, maybe not feeling like they had scanned the globe for the next offensive coordinator, however you want to phrase it. But that there were people that were actually mad that it was Co. kind of surprised me. I'm not going to lie. Well, and let's be real about this thing here. It's a promotion for Joe John Finley, but they're not they're not co-offensive coordinators. Seth Luttrell's the offensive coordinator. It's calling the plays. Um TT in the ICT hit us up. He said, Will DG play in the bowl game or will he make his attentions known and enter the portal or draft? Well, what do you think of what George Stoya said? George said he expects he expects him to play in the bowl game because that's that's who he is, and I, I tend to agree with that. And I don't, I don't, I don't know how legit those Oregon Florida State rumors are, Josh, but they're pretty tasty, right? Sure. And could it be a, and could it be a situation where, basically, we see him end up in, you know, in Tallahassee or in Eugene? I, I think there's also something too, and maybe this is a me thing. I think Dylan's a great personality, man. If you spend any time around him or if you've met him, he's as real as they come. I've been really impressed with him. I wonder, though, if for him, the work that went into building those relationships with the Jalil Farouks and the Drake Stoops of the world and the timing, I wonder if he looks at that and says, hey, I had two years at OU, three years at UCF. Why don't I just go ahead and if I'm going to build those, let me build them at the NFL level where – Hey, maybe that short-term financial gain might not be as huge, but long-term it could be massive. So it's just time to start my pro career. I, st- I still think he's turning pro. I really do. Oh, and here, here's the other one I had that I had for us here in this segment. This is from the 918. College sports in the current form must be abolished. There is no way to ensure a competitive balance. At least the NFL, NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball all have salary caps. Okay, so you remember how I told you I don't think the NFL cares about college football? Yes. I think the only person that cares about competitive balance are like a handful of people in the NCAA office. I don't think competitive balance matters. You're telling me that you want you want Ball State to be on the same playing field as Oklahoma and Alabama? Competitive balance. You want Marshall to have the same amount of revenue whenever they're not drawing the same amount of tv ratings or attendance you think that uh, idaho competitive balance they don't care about competitive balance and competitive balance shouldn't matter college sports is inherently inherently unbalanced it always has been i think that we we've strived to make there be a little bit more parity but there's only so much parity you're getting when you've got blue blood programs and you've got have-nots yeah, no, you're right. Okay, listen, I, I've got three other texts that I want to hit here, but they're they're good, they're lengthy, and they're going to involve a more in-depth conversation. I'm not – listen, I think at the core of it, when you're like, it's unfair because there's no competitive balance, that's right. But to me, I don't think there ever has been or there ever will be. That's – how many teams play Division One college football? What is it, like one 
120, something like that. Yeah, it's like 133, I think, now. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have the same across the board for everybody? That's just not realistic. There's 32 NFL teams. There's 30 NBA teams. What is there, 30 Major League Baseball teams? I don't think you can compare it and say salary cap. You, even if you put a salary cap on it, it's going to be a higher number in the SEC and the Big, 12, Big Ten than it is anywhere else. That's not competitive balance. All right, we got a break. It's Plank Show. Top text of the hour next on the ref. It, here's I, I, just because I've I've kind of gone back and forth, and I think you tend to agree with the uh, texter, right? You think that there needs to be more competitive balance. Uh, I I wouldn't say that I necessarily agree or disagree. I understand the concern. I understand the fear that it. I, I think a group of television executives would need to have. If if it's it's all, it's inherently unbalanced, right? That's it's not changing. It, it's that's right. that's college athletics. That's not just college football. That's college athletics. Uh, Kansas and North Carolina basketball are not created equally to insert school here, right? And that ain't yeah. changing tomorrow. But uh, do you get to a point with the Big Ten and the SEC to where the the Big Twelve and ACC schools? I mean, do they get disinterested in watching? SEC and Big Ten games, if those are the two that are always playing for national championships. And is does that matter to TV execs at some point down the road? I don't Man, know. I don't know. I mean, the, the idea that competitive balance, like this was the, the final text, that competitive balance amongst the Power Five is imperative to keep fan interest. I, I, I could not disagree more. And also the Power Five doesn't even exist anymore. It's Power Two. It's the Big Ten and the SEC. And we all know that. So... Um, I appreciate the take. I just, as far as, I could not disagree more. Do I do I love the world where everybody is on the same page? But like you said, Josh, that's not the case in any other sport. Do we need competitive balance in softball because Oklahoma's too good? You know, is that a concern or less people watching because Oklahoma's too good? Maybe. Well, and here's the deal. You, you know this as well as I know this. Competitive balance, all of that sounds great, right, when we have the conversation right here. And to Kansas State and Iowa State and insert Big 12 or ACC school that's not Florida State or Clemson, right? It sounds great to everybody that's not one of the Big 10 SEC halves or one of these, you know, schools in the ACC that would be regarded as sort of a blue blood or fringe blue blood power that would be in the conversation with the, you know, Ohio State's, Oklahoma's of the world, whatever, right? It sounds great in theory until you set up a salary cap and Michigan uh, gets capped and Ohio State gets capped and Oklahoma gets capped and then Brent Venables and Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Day, they're not so happy about a salary cap at that point when they lose that advantage. That's right. And then you would also add that then everyone would cheat to pay more money. (laughs) Right. Then we're right back to square one. My personal favorite. Everyone grinched and moaned and complained about, I'm tired of the same teams. Cincinnati makes the four-team playoff. TCU makes the four-team playoff. What is all that everyone did? Complain. Complain. Oh, why is Cincinnati in here? I don't want to watch TCU. This is dumb. They don't even have a shot. And, well, I mean, TCU didn't. But. Okay, so here's, here's two things, two of my favorite texts from this hour that I want to get to quickly. Just Jim writes, and by the way, you put Jim, we got a lot of Jims in here, Jim on the text line, so I made you just Jim. Two OCs? Coach V knows the program better than anyone and is ultimately responsible for the program's success. 
If he's willing to hang his hat on co-OCs, I have to believe that decision is not haphazard and will lead to the continued success of OU football. Agreed. Um, Here was the other one, because I've gone back and forth on this with a few people. Regarding the New Year's Six Bowl probability, if I understand it correctly, the college football committee also selects the non-playoff New Year's Six Bowl teams and where they will play as opposed to the individual New Year's Six Bowls making their own team selections. Um, I understand it as the Bulls making the selection. The committee doesn't put them there. The Bulls make that choice. Now, if you're looking at the pecking order for the Big 12, which is our last year here, the pecking order is you know, New Year's Day six or, um, playoff, right? Playoff. If you make the playoffs, boom, you're in. But as far as that's concerned, then it's a New Year's Day six bowl or – the Alamo Bowl. The Alamo Bowl is the first choice. It goes Alamo Pop-Tart Bowl. For, and that's the old Camping World slash Cheez-It Bowl. But I, I listen, I'm just of the belief that Oklahoma still has a chance to get into New Year's Day Six Bowl. It, anyway, the, the, the question continues. If that's the case, unfortunately, I'm not liking OU's chances to get into a New Year's Day Six Bowl unless Texas makes it into the playoff. Hope I'm wrong, though. No, that, that's a really big thing. If Texas, that's part of the reason. I think Texas has a great chance of getting in. You guys realize all it takes for Texas getting in is Florida State to lose. If Florida State loses, Texas is right there in that conversation, man. Now, if Alabama beats Georgia, woo dog, are we going to have some conversations come Sunday morning? Top five stories today coming up next right here on The Ref.